Welcome to the Ritual of Practice podcast. I am your host, Angela Houghton. I am a mom living in the desert southwest. I practice a lot of things, including yoga and meditation, horsewomanship, and being a kind human. This is a podcast to inspire your practice. I interview people about the how, when, what, and where of their practice. May you find inspiration in their stories to keep showing up for your own practice. Thank you for listening. In today's episode, I am interviewing Sarah Heffron. Sarah began meditating over 36 years ago and was my first meditation teacher. If you are new to meditation, you will notice we talk a fair amount about sitting. We are not suggesting that the practice of meditation is limited to sitting. There are many different ways to meditate, and we will be exploring this on the show. Sarah's practice is a true inspiration as it it has spanned decades. She began meditating in high school. Sarah is also a mother and has a thriving therapy practice. I really think you're going to enjoy listening to her journey and the expansion of her practice. So welcome. I am here with Sarah Heffron this morning in Moab, Utah. And our plan this morning, although we have a lot of shared interest, is to talk about meditation and mindfulness. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thanks so much for having me, Angela. This is fun. Yeah, I'm feeling the fun aspect as well. And I thought to dive into the introduction, I might just um, take us back (laughs) to when Actually, it was my first meditation experience, which was with you. And I, I feel like I've probably shared this with you b- before, but maybe it won't. Uh, maybe you won't remember. Uh, we were in the church here in Moab. That's um, the space in a small room there. And you were offering up a meditation uh, and I fell asleep. <laughs> and I think back on this now because I loved it. But I remember who knows what I was up to at the time. I was probably burning the candle at both ends and meditation was brand new to me. And now I think about that, I'm like, oh, how lovely it would be to fall asleep while meditating since I'm in a completely different chapter of my life where sleep is a challenge and meditation, not so much. (laughs) Uh, But that is actually kind of my first memory of meditating was um, with you and your beautiful offering, which, you know, I I was present for part of it, but then my body fell asleep. (laughs) Mine does that too. Does it still to this day sometimes you'll fall asleep? Oh, sleep has has been one of my longer challenges. I periodically will sit with a book on top of my head or sit with my arm in a certain position so that when it falls down, it you know wakes me up. But I have definitely explored other ways. But that's been it's been a, the tendency towards kind of going to sleep both on the cushion and off is is definitely an ongoing teacher. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I have a, a, a set of questions here, and, you know, we might expand from these questions. And I'm just going to dive in to the first one, which is what sparked your interest in meditation? Oh, <laughs> goes way back to when I was in high school taking a psychology class. I decided I would do my whatever my final project on meditation and I was so into it that I realized like this is not normal for the teenagers around me they were smoking pot or doing whatever they were doing and it it kind of felt like okay I can either choose this path or being hooked in with peers so at that moment in time it kind of after six months I was like 
let it fall off, got very into yoga, and then in my mid-twenties, I was like just, I was traveling and my mind was just racing, figuring out how to stop a dam and halfway across the world, and it was just like, oh, what I need to do is stop and listen. And kind of, you know, those little snow globes, like, I couldn't see what I was doing or thinking because everything was so chaotic. So it was like, I just, it was just like, I need to stop <laughs> and practice. Mm, that's so beautiful. That actually, this morning in my practice, my meditation practice, I, I sat for a little shorter period of time than usual, and my takeaway was like, wow, this is one of the only places I can find peace right now, which is a little bit wild because one of the first things I hear when I offer meditation to folks that are new to it is that they can't do it because the brain is so busy. But it'll be fun as we like continue this mm -hmm. conversation because now I'm at a place where, yeah, the thoughts are there, but the tools <laughs> enable me to have little, little tiny little moments of peace that, yeah, are so soothing um, mm -hmm. to my nervous system. Hmm. So thinking back or bringing it back to that, um, that high school class, did the teacher offer up this idea of meditation or was it something you discovered on your own through something you read or? I mean, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. So, so I was kind of in the soup. Yes. Um, uh, so it was, it was all around. I don't think my teacher mentioned it, but there was a, you know, it was lived close to University of Colorado and there was a talk and I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. Oh, this is really interesting. This is really powerful. Um, Are you yeah. comfortable saying like roughly what year that would have been? Like, oh yeah, that would have been like 1986, 19, yeah, 1986. Cool. Cool. Um, okay. Next question is, um, well, you did express this a little bit, if there was ever a gap in a time from when you had the initial spark and then it started. So it came back to you while you were traveling. Mm -hmm. And then have you taken any other kind of larger breaks since that dive back in? It's interesting. I've, um, I would say I dove in deep when I was in my mid-20s and was really did longer retreats. I, I often had a schedule that winters were a little quieter so I could go on a six week retreat. Um, and then I became a parent mm -hmm. and that changes things. Mm -hmm. And the Buddhist tradition is pretty oriented towards monastics. And there wasn't, it, it felt like there wasn't a lot of support. And I know there is now and there probably even was at the time. But actually, the first year that I was parenting, I was living in Kathmandu. And so I would say I had, I kept practicing, but I had a probably 10-year hiatus in, maybe even 15-year hiatus in really feeling very connected to faith. Mm -hmm. I either was feeling like, what's wrong with me? Or what's wrong with this practice? <laughs> but you were still practicing. You were still showing up, even though you had that underlying <clears throat> feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, and it would periodically get, um, for me, going on retreat where I can really drop farther in and my ego can just kind of disintegrate and there's nobody mirroring back that my ego's falling apart. Yeah. Um, like family. <laughs> yeah. 
friends. Uh, those would really boost my practice. Um, yeah. Okay. I hope that answers the question. It absolutely does. And it made me think of another thing in there. Um, the structure of your practice. So um, having such a lengthy practice, like having done this for um, so many years with regularity, is there a fluidity um, to the way you come to the practice or has it looked pretty similar um, for most of this time? Oh gosh, it changes all the time. that's a big question. <laughs> um, changes all the time. Yeah, cool. I mean, there's the changes day to day, but there's also, you know, what practice I'm doing. Like there'll be periods where um, early in my practice, and I feel like I'm circling back to this, my main practice was a compassion practice of really drawing in the difficult, whether it was in my own life or in the world, and then sending out, you know, the Tibetan Tonglen practice. Um, Pema Chodron was the teacher that I took refuge with in 98, and that really uh, that compassion practice was huge for me in navigating some bumpy life terrain. And now I feel like I'm coming back to it more with what's going on in the world is mm -hmm. that compassion feels like a really important piece. And other times it's been more meta focused. And I would say there've been periods of time where I've been kind of, my husband would often say, Oh, are you going to go Bob for consciousness? Because I would kind of go and doze on and off on the cushion. And I think what's really enlivened my practice in the last six months, I, I did a, very blessed to do a couple week meditation retreat in nature is poof my mind just went blank for a second um is bringing a little bit more investigation to my experience mm -hmm. so rather than oh i'm feeling sleepy and kind of almost like resisting it being like oh what's what's sleepiness like and, you know, doing what I need to do, whether it's like holding my arm up or whatever, mm -hmm. but bringing more curiosity to all the different flavors of experience rather than like, oh, but I'd rather have a different experience. Mm. Yeah, that, that feels familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, this is maybe a silly question based on where we're at in our conversation this morning, but um, do you see yourself meditating for the rest of your life? pretty easily say you know that the flavors of meditation will change and the practices will change um but we're in a i mean maybe in like i don't know the 70s 80s when like the whole world seemed like infinite growth was i mean at least from my perspective you know everything was getting better we were moving away from apartheid and we like had civil rights and you know, more women's liberation. And now mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, we are living in a world that is so rough and raw. Mm -hmm. I can't really imagine being able to navigate this skillfully without having some place to anchor into the earth. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. Um, this, I, I, I know the answer to, but I want to be able to share it with our listeners is have you shared your skills with anyone else? Um, I think it was after 9-11 that I 
felt first really like drawn to doing some more community practice. And so I started um, teaching day-longs and classes and um, was given blessings from uh, some of my Buddhist teachers. And I've done a couple um, like two-year programs of community Dharma leader and you know, various trainings. Um, so I'm not sure if you, when you say sharing my skills, yeah. are you talking teaching the community? Yeah, so maybe I else? should like, maybe I will actually outline <laughs> a little bit more. So, I mean, I know from being a student of yours that I feel like that was before 9-11, but maybe my memory isn't that you were offering in the community. Was that pre 9-11? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe I didn't come to Moab before that. I don't think so. What? Oh, goodness. <laughs> Why you? I guess that is, that's not important, but. Being a student of yours, and yeah, like I, so yeah, I guess regardless of when that happened, to, to be able to receive that, um, it's, I, and then of course, um, I'm very familiar with uh, the mindfulness and education program that you started, and so, uh, you know, I think that our community is incredibly grateful for that, and um, to tell the listeners, in case someone listening might be inspired, is <laughs> Sarah started a program in our schools to offer meditation to or mindfulness mindfulness practices to uh, the youth in our community so um yeah i I guess i know that you've shared these skills (laughs) um do you want to share at all like what inspired you to start the mindfulness and education um nonprofit? yeah i was working uh a bit in community mental health and actually was helping out with a suicide prevention grant and was really just like, okay, how, how can we better support our youth? Mm. It's like, it's such a, I mean, it's always like the transition, particularly in the adolescent years, you know, the mind is kind of going through a massive remodel and it exposes all of the vulnerabilities. And so it was like, okay, how do we, how do we strengthen, uh, you know, increase resilience and just create space to be with with our hearts because I think it's a world where we often have to be in a place to protect our hearts Mm. rather than open and connect with them Um, so that's that's what initiated it and it's been very interesting to watch the response you know there's definitely kids who are just lapped it up and took it in and it really was transformative and I think if I were teaching now, I would probably offer a lot more different vehicles. And, and eventually mm-hmm. we did end up, and still, there's mm-hmm. the yoga program in the high school. Um, supporting mental health and mm-hmm. being able to be in this world and, and at least have some space to open one's heart. Yeah, so beautifully said, that heart connection and, and the tools in which to do so. Um, oh, this, <laughs> some of this we've kind of got at in our conversation. Um, well, I'm just going to jump ahead. to So that the next question was, was there a period of time that you lost interest in meditation? And so if there's anything that you haven't already said that you want to share that you feel like would be of service to someone who might be on this journey and then maybe find themselves tripped up. Uh, yeah, I think... I, I, I think most anyone on a path is going to have a period 
where they feel like they're on a plateau or uh, they've lost the juice. And that was kind of my experience. I was like, where's the juice? I like this practice, you know, for the first, I don't know, 12, 15 years, it was so juicy. Um, and then something kind of dried out and that it's, I think that, that it's an, an invitation to go deeper. Um, and super supportive to, you know, try something different. Maybe if you've been practicing inside, go outside. Mm-hmm. If you've been practicing outside, go inside. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe explore, is there a different teacher or different, and I don't want to suggest that like you sort of go to the supermarket of like, you know, a taste a little of this and taste a little of that. But if you've had a longer practice, I think that changing it up can be helpful. And I'm really in the same tradition, but I also find that my connection with the earth is a very powerful support to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, poetry for me is a something that really is like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. Like that offers up a lot of wisdom. So finding, finding other supports as well. Yeah. That's really well said. And it made me think of, I mean, it's uh, this book and I'm only saying it not, you know, if we were talking on our own, I probably wouldn't bring it up, but for the listeners, um, Sally Kempton's book, Meditation for the Love of It, mm-hmm. because she does dip into all these different practices um, and on this journey and not saying that one is better than the other, but in honoring if you're in a tradition, but also, yeah, ex- finding that place to be curious and to try different things. Um, I've been playing with that a little bit in my yoga practice because because we do a very brief meditation at the end just so I can offer a piece of that to the students, but also not just one way so that they can, yeah, try different things. And I also, I'll just add one more piece is that I think, um, you know, there's practice, there's periods when practice on the cushion is kind of the place in life where one is. And there's times when that practice is really much more active, whether it's parenting or being of service in the community. And so, so letting the practice, not having a fixed idea of what the practice should look like is one piece. And then there was one other little thread. Um, maybe it'll come back to me. Well, hearing you say that more active, my first thought that dropped in was the walking meditation. You know, I think that's, yeah, just all these different barriers. I think sometimes that, um, without putting too much judgment on it, you know, I, I think that, yeah, there isn't just one way and it's, you know, as someone who's offering these things, it's, um, you, you hear these barriers that people have of like, I can't sit, I can't sit on a cushion or, you know, like, you know, and that there's just so many different ways to explore these things. (laughs) Bringing curiosity to that experience of like, okay, first of all, I don't have to sit on a cushion. I can sit on, I can stand, I can, Mm -hmm. you know, I can take these various postures. Um, but really like, what's that about? And I think we live in such a head oriented culture that I think the way that mindfulness practices have come into our culture, we've really embraced a lot more of the headiness of the concentration Mm -hmm. and the balance of the heart practices and the really embodied practices. Um, that's pretty juicy. Mm -hmm. And, and, and again, it's like, 
that moment of I can't or like it's flat, there's no juice. Wow, what's that like to have no juice? And oh wow, gosh, I, I noticed that I feel kind of flat and I feel a certain grasping for something to be different. It's like right now, whatever is happening right now is the opportunity. But usually we're looking for something else and so we miss mm. the opportunity. That almost makes me want to tear up <laughs> in a good way, in the best way. <laughs> and it also makes me think about how wonderful it would be to have you back on the podcast to um, lead you know, through a heart-centered meditation mm. at some point. That sounds, yeah. I just had that when I was listening to you. Um, and then this final question, uh, well, tips for getting started, which you touched on a little bit in this, um, different ways to explore. Um, but if someone is brand new to mindfulness or meditation, uh, are there any specific tips or tools that you would suggest, um, you know, really from a more simple aspect um, to get started? Mm. Okay, well, the, the, the first thing I thought of is kind of off the deep end is that if you have space to take a few days, a week, like if you have the possibility to drop into a longer retreat, and there's even like online retreats if you can't, you know, go somewhere mm-hmm. that are like Insight Retreat Center, it's all on donation. Like, so the finances aren't a barrier. Um, so that's kind of my wild side is that there is something profound about really taking the time to allow that snow globe to just sit and let it settle because it that's the first thing that people come up against mostly when we start sitting is like what's just like a madhouse in there there's just Mm -hmm. like you know you know it's itching (laughs) and it's uncomfortable and it's it's kind of all of the you know aversions and urges and sleepiness and restlessness and doubt they all just come in like a whirlwind you know some some more than others but um so one is knowing that that's this too like oh this is what this is what restlessness is like Mm -hmm. can I can I be with this for one moment and with with compassion not from a like rigid I'm gonna sit through this it's like oh wow this is this is probably what happens a lot in my life but I'm not trying to sit still so I'm kind of crossing my legs and uncrossing and moving around. Um, I think, hmm, I think grounding with the senses, trying to be more embodied rather than thinking one's way into it. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, I feel my connection with the earth. Mm -hmm. I can feel the contact points for the earth. Um, I can feel I can, I can hear, you know, okay, there's the sound of a car going by, and there's a bird, oh, there's the refrigerator going on. Just, like, really grounding in one's senses is a really easy way to kind of narrow our the scope where the mind is focused mm-hmm. into the present. So maybe that's a, a little yeah. starting place. I love it. And I'd just love to add that Um, having that container of time has been really helpful for me having, I mean, boundaries isn't necessarily, you know, the word I 
choose, but it's the, that feels like the available word at the moment of, of, of time, whether that's one minute, five minutes, 10, 20, whatever that is. But having that container, um, it kind of keeps me um, honest, I suppose, with the discipline mm-hmm. of the practice. I think having a, like having a, a designated space, uh, inside or outside, having a designated time, and increasingly, I think a really vital part is community. Mm. Is I currently, for the last six months, at 6.15 every morning, I know that there's someone else that we're going to like oh. sit down. And so there's a little accountability. So just mm-hmm. even having, and everyone else, I mean, people know this from like, if you're going to go to the gym, it's a lot easier to go to the gym when you know you have a date with a friend at the gym. Yes. Or whatever it is. I was just going to contact a friend and say like, okay, I'm going to try not to eat chocolate for a week and see if I can sleep better. But somehow it's easier if I know somebody else is doing it. (laughs) So maybe find somebody who is interested in this exploration Mm -hmm. and just say like, okay, you know, I'm going to, we're going to sit at this time each day. And so there's, or we're going to read this book or share a poem and sit, I think is so helpful. Mm. It's a great idea. Oh, this has been such, you know, a wonderful thing to have you here uh, this morning to talk about this thing that um, has been an amazing tool for me. And I just feel such gratitude that you introduced me to meditation. And Hmm. (laughs) it's, yeah, feels like an integral part of my life and my practices right now. And also like one that will continue to grow and evolve over time. So Hmm. thank you so much for having me, Angela. You're welcome. Look forward to hearing your future podcasts. Yeah. Well, um, we'll have you on again then to uh, lead a heart-centered meditation, if you're so willing. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I love hearing all the different rituals that people have for their practices. If you have questions or want to connect, please reach out from my website, theritualofpractice.com. You can also find me on Instagram as Practice Grace. If you liked this episode, please share it with someone you love. Until next time, keep practicing.